Welcome everybody to Way of the Blade, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Schneider, author of Way of the Blade, 100 of the greatest bloody matches in professional wrestling history, and a writer on the Skunda Kaida blog. I am pleased to be joined by an old friend of mine, Lee Benica, who's a wrestling historian, I guess would be maybe the correct term, but he's a, a the, uh, was just elected the non-academic uh, member of the executive committee for the Professional Wrestling Studies Association, so we're going to talk a little about that, and we're also going to talk uh, about Bruno San Martino uh, and Tito Santana versus Randy Savage and Adrian Adonis from Madison Square Garden. July 12th, 1986, which is a, a really, really fun, uh, old, classic old-school wrestling match, which I have a lot of, a lot of time for in my book. So, Lee, how are you, my friend? I am great, Phil. It's so nice to be on your podcast and to be able to talk to you again. Um, it's a real treat. We go way back. And just reflecting, you know, your, your point in life is kind of where I was when I first met you probably 20 or so years ago I had two little kids and I would go over to your place to watch wrestling after I put them to bed and kind of showed up late and would get tired and fall asleep after an hour or so but you know here you are with the family it's cute <laughs> two, two, two little kids we're not really that we're not really that uh, you're not really that much older than me so it really did take me a while to get to the point of my, uh, of my life where you were 20 years ago but I you know I think it's like we're I mean, like, <laughs> It's like, it's, I'm, we're all about, I don't know, we're not, I don't think we're the same. How old are you, Lee? I am 53. Okay, so, so you're like, you know, a little older, but not, not, not 20 years older, for sure. Yeah, uh, I got an earlier start, I guess. <laughs> um, family, so. so yeah, so tell me a little bit about, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, Professional Wrestling Studies Association. What is it? How did you get involved in it? Um Give me like some background on that, and then we'll get into this match, which should be studied by academics. Oh, yes. It is a prime example of everything you want out of a brisk, lively, energetic cage match. But um, before we get to that, the Professional Wrestling Studies Association, I believe, was founded in 2018. It somehow got on my radar because of my background. I've got a slight pseudo-academic background in professional wrestling studies. When I was um, a senior at Columbia, New York City, as a religion major, I wrote a senior thesis on ritual and religious imagery and professional wrestling, and then got a fellowship to go around the country and interview people in the pro wrestling business. That was back in 1990, 91, early 92. So I guess when this I heard about this. It kind of resonated with me. Um, as I learned more about it, I realized that you know I I didn't follow that path. I didn't become you know get a PhD in pop culture or, or American studies or whatever you do to study professional wrestling. Um, yeah, I went into fisheries management, so uh, you know none of that for me. So I can't I can't really you know I don't know the the literature all that well, the analyses. So when I saw an opportunity recently, there's an opening for what's called a non-academic representative on their board of directors or executive committee. I decided I might qualify for that. That position serves as the voice for association members who are not members of an academic institution. They can be professionals within or related to pro wrestling or just fans of pro wrestling. And uh, my job is to ensure that such members' needs are addressed by the executive committee. And that's basically how it works. So do they put out, like, 
academic journals or, or what what sort of the output of this organization if there is an output of this organization yeah they, they have two main activities they there is a professional wrestling studies journal they've published two issues of it it's an online open access journal as far as i can tell so they published an issue in 2020 and 2021 so some of the papers that they've published that appeal to me as far as the titles are concerned i think i skimmed through one of them at least there's a one entitled Playing the Savage, Professional Wrestling's Portrayal of the Exotic through James Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, I should say, I guess. <laughs> Getting my Kamala's mixed up. And uh, there's another article in the journal called Samoan Submission Machines Grappling with Representations of Samoan Identity in Professional Wrestling. So, you know, it's great people are analyzing that sort of stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's just another kind of level of fandom that you know, tries to, you know, where people are trying to enjoy and, and um, you know, express their fandom of pro wrestling in an academic setting and, and trying to, you know, turn themselves into professors by studying this stuff, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is like what, what almost an example of what you, you, like a conservative would complain about academia. It's like this person's stu- <laughs> studying Kamala got his PhD in Kamala, <laughs> but the, the fact is that they, you know, that wrestling, you know, pop, uh, you know, that study of popular culture is a legitimate academic study. It takes up a lot of, you know, the things that humans do, and certainly people have been writing about, you know, plays and movies and, and you know, TV and stuff like that, and there's not a, you know, pro wrestling is a, an art form in, the, in those, in that, you know, setting for sure. Yeah, the old cliche is pro wrestling is so proper for guys, and and I've discovered that there's a lot of folks who have whole careers based on you know analysis of soap operas too, daytime soap operas. So you know it's 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 great stuff. <laughs> That's <fun. laughs> a lot of fun. The, the other the other main thing that this group does is they put on a, a virtual uh, annual meeting called Wrestleposium. So there's been two of them. The third one is going to be April 9th. 2022. It's a day-long event. It's got several sessions. There's an academic session. With, uh, some of the presentations lined up for that include understanding the Canadian is foreign heel and the crossroads of pro wrestling and fighting video games. There's a creative sesh, uh, presentation session with presentations on fiction, you know, pro wrestling-related fiction and card and board games focused on pro wrestling. There's going to be some panel discussions, including focusing on pro wrestling paraphernalia and gear and defining kayfabe, and maybe one on professional wrestling criticism if we're lucky. And then they've got a couple of keynote talks, including a publisher of a pro wrestling-themed comic book company called Headlocked Comics, which I've never heard of, but um, it's a thing, and Cody Rhodes is on their website, so, you know, it's got to be cool. There we go. Yeah, no, I mean it's possible. Uh, if I, if I, for way of the blade of fish hours, if I end up on that criticism panel, which I might, I'll make sure that everybody knows about that, and we'll we'll link to it either way, because uh, that's kind of a cool, uh, a cool different approach to studying this whole thing. Uh, so let's talk about this match. What what uh, the, you know when I, we we sort of we reached out to each other for you to come on this pod. This was the one that you picked wanted to do what about this sort of resonates with you well um you know i i really like all of the wrestlers 
who are in it. I'm especially a big fan of Adrian Adonis. When I was young, um, I went to, I, I grew up in Kansas, so didn't get a lot of WWF exposure there, but I had an aunt in New Jersey and I went there a couple times as a kid and, and stumbled across this thing called the MSG Network uh, late at night. And it was right when the North-South connection was the, became the tag team chance. And, of course, that's Adrian Adonis and Dick Murdoch. I think they beat uh, Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas. Or maybe they beat the Samoans. I can't remember. Maybe Rocky Johnson and Tony Atlas then beat them. But they were a really compelling tag team, You know, very different styles, personalities. Uh, but they were a lot of fun to watch when we did the WWF Best of the 80s a long, long time ago. I must have had um, North-South versus the Briscoes as you know, my top three, if not, it could have been my top match of the 80s from that competition. So you know, I love Adrian, enjoyed him a lot in the Portland set that, uh, that was out years ago as well. And uh, so he's a lot of fun, even at his age, his adorable phase when he was a bit um, husky, if you will, but still very agile and, and active. Macho Man Randy Savage was probably, you know, at the peak of his uh, WWF career, I think. He had, could still do all of his moves super fast, super insane on promote, promos. Tito Santana was coming off of, you know, I don't know, maybe the, the Holy Trinity of the Intercontinental Feuds. I think he had feuds with uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine and uh, Don Morocco and then uh, Randy Savage. And then, as you mentioned, in, in Way of the Blade, you've got Bruno San Martino kind of coming out of retirement, walking tall um, as the, the living legend who can still really go and still has a physique to put a lot of people to shame. Um, so, you know, four really compelling wrestlers, in a cage, not the blue bar cage, but the chicken wire cage. Yeah, um, this is a good chicken. This is a good cage. This is uh, much better than the normal WWE cage. It looks kind of looks like there's points and stuff. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it may even be what kind of looks like barbed wire on the top of it. I don't know if it is barbed wire, but it's got some it's sort of like you know thing that's maybe it's chicken wire, but it's it's a nasty looking cage. Yes, for sure. And they get some of the good old face grating into the cage. Um, I think Adonis says that to Tito at one point, which is always always uh, pretty harrowing to, to have to see. But, um, yeah, super, super exciting. And it's just a, a go, go, go match the whole time. As soon as um, Bruno and Tito kind of step in, it's just nonstop. Yeah, it's probably about 10 minutes. You know what I mean? And it certainly doesn't need to be lower than that. And, I mean, with Savage and Adonis, those are two guys who will go into a cage full speed, upside down. I mean, they're two of the great into-the-cage wrestlers of all time in some ways. Like, of guys taking that those bumps. I mean, Savage is, was a lunatic at this point, right? I mean, just completely reckless. And Adonis, who is big. I mean, this, is, this, is, this isn't as big as he would get. He was really big during the end of his career in the AWA. Like he may have yeah. been forty or fifty pounds heavier than this, but he's probably three mm. three thirty. But still goes in like you know, full, you know, takes some really really wild bumps into that cage, um, and that's what most of this match was. Really, was just like your two really really over baby faces, you know, taking these two really athletic heels and flinging them all over the ring, uh, <laughs> you know, which is great. I mean, it is like this is this is a. Uh, 
this is kind of one of those like classic uh, like house show feud blow off matches where you're just going to see your guy, your babies are going to come in and they're going to the crowd is seeing uh, there to see them get their revenge and they just kind of you know go through it. Um, reminds yeah, me a lot yeah. of the of like the Bill Watts stuff on the Mid South set where Bill Watts would come in and you know bump everybody bump around for him and Bruno is really great in that role. Obviously, with even maybe more of a pedigree. I mean, this is Madison Square Garden and it's Bruno San Martino, right? That's like, you know, that is that's as that is as iconic a match of building and 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 athlete as it gets. Yeah, it seemed like this was a little kind of a mini feud. Uh, these two teams against each other. I think they had a match in Madison Square Garden, then a rematch in Pittsburgh, and then finally the cage match. So it was uh, definitely the Bruno home crowd uh, to get behind him, and it was it was very energetic. I don't think there was a single wrestling move in the match outside of a suplex by Adrian kind of early in the match. You know, Bruno is just Mr. Kick and Punch the whole way through. I mean, pretty um, much the whole way through the, his entire 40- or 50-year career. I, mean, I think so. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, you know, I like Bruno. He's in the book three times. Probably could have just been in twice. I mean, in hindsight... Like he probably didn't. I probably didn't need three Bruno matches, but he's definitely a guy who, you know, obviously just an iconic star of wrestling, and you know, met so much as a as a as a figure, and you know, an editor, not a guy like you said with a lot of a lot of different uh, tools in his bag, but could could uh, use the ones he had really well. And these are yeah, like yeah. a perfect pair of guys to like, you know, to to. to Get in there with Bruno, right? Because you know it's like you, Bruno's gonna punch Randy Savage. Randy Savage is gonna like flip over like a crazy person for every shot. Same thing with Adonis. Exactly. Yeah, they they really fell, and the crowd is rabid. You know, they're they're totally pumped for this. Really, the the biggest swells of of crowd noise are when the heels make a break for the either the the open cage door or the top right. of the cage. There's I think one point in the match where uh, Adonis has both feet at the very top of the cage and then Savage has flung himself halfway out the door and I think Tito's hanging on. Yeah, Tito, Tito's hanging on to Savage and Bruno's hanging on to Adonis. Um, yeah. and, then, and then Adonis gets, you know, crotched on the top rope and Bruno gives him a little yeah. ride. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty funny. That, you know, like obviously, you're if you're doing sort of a you know a, a, a feminine gay gimmick the way Adonis is doing that ends up that usually ends up a lot of crotch trauma as uh, as your heels are going to get hit in the balls and the dick a lot. It's kind of the way it works, especially in the eighties. I don't, I, I don't think you have gay heels anymore in wrestling. Uh, uh, I mean, you've yeah, got, I, outside of Mexico, right? I mean, you've got guys who are doing. Doing sort of flamboyant gay gimmicks, but all his baby faces now. So like yeah, Adonis yeah. would be would you know be headlining like uh, L- LGBTQ uh, themed <laughs> indie shows if he was working in twenty uh, twenty one. Although I don't know what Adonis's actual um, orientation was, um, but uh, yeah. but 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 that particular that that it probably it's fine that it isn't it's dead now. But that kind of your swishy. <laughs> Heel who gets heat because he's uh, because he's in uh, fuchsia trunks with eye makeup is not something that uh, is something that has died in wrestling. 
I don't know if there's I, mean, I don't know if there's an academic article on that, but I, I'm sure there is. Uh, oh, but there very well could be, or someone's got to write. I mean, the the other the kind of equivalent that that reminds me of too is like heel archetypes from the '80s WWF that just, just you don't see anymore would be the the genius Randy Savage's brother Lanny Poffo, where you're evil because you're well educated and, and right. you're pushy off. Yeah, he was also doing some stuff, right? I mean, you know, I don't think that was as wasn't as overt as adorable Adrian, but I mean, he was taking a lot of his a lot of his uh, mannerisms were that kind of uh, that kind of mannerisms too, and you know, like you had other. It's an interesting. I mean, Adrian Street, who was I think you know did it as well. I mean. you know, he did a different thing, right? He was a guy who was would do that while you know being the toughest guy in yeah. in the ring, right? It was a, it was a different kind of gimmick. He would dance around, but he'd also like beat your ass. Um, yeah, plus he had, he had Miss Linda, and you could tell they had a, a weird they had a thing going on. It was a weird thing, but you know, yeah, there was you know they were married, I think, in real life, but they were always together. I mean, that sort of gimmick maybe could go over today because it's complicated. It's it's got many layers. He's He's a tough, you know, guy who'll stretch you, and he's also, you know, has the makeup on, and he's prancing around with a boa. So yeah, right. That that, that, that that there was more layers. That I mean, Goldust was doing. You know, we're what me and Tom are uh, our our mutual friend Tom are doing the uh, uh, Dust of the Day style. Uh, we're going to call it. That's the next book. So I've been watching some Goldust, uh, um, and there are points where he had he kind of captured that a little bit. Uh, he was definitely more Adrian Street inspired than Adrian Adonis inspired, right? Because he had Marlena, the same sort of thing, right? With Marlena, yeah. I thought that Adrian Adonis was a tough guy too. I, uh, you know, there's a. Oh, sure. I mean, he is the there's the moment in the match where he kind of rips off the bottom of the stairs is really fun. Yeah. Right? Uh, there's yeah, that was intense. You see the nails. You kind of wanted to use the nails, but you know it was a V. Yeah, it, it disappeared. <laughs> you know, Dick Kroll or whoever was out there, they must have grabbed it from him yeah. real quick. But you know, yeah. today that would be just you know, then you get the thumbtacks yeah. and you get the glass. Right, right, right. <laughs> that, that would just be the appetizer, probably. A yeah. I think it was interesting. <laughs> I was talking a little bit. Uh, you know, actually, the last part I did, we were talking about the most obvious blade jobs in uh, in my book. Savage does a yeah. really obvious blade job in this fashion. Uh, whoever was cap doing the MSG cameras just close, cl- almost close shots in of him taking like <laughs> cut himself in a real like, man, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing, MSG camera people? You know, focus on Adrian Adonis and Bruno when Savage is really cl- obviously blading himself. Yeah, they they miss a lot of big shots. I think they kind of miss Adrian coming off, partially coming off of the top of the cage onto and missing Bruno. And if, well, I guess they miss Bruno pulling him down. You hear the, the you know they're focusing on Savage trying to get out of the cage when Bruno's when Adrian's up on the top, and then when he lands on the the top rope, you just you see know, him out there. You don't see him it. fall. Yeah, you get a yeah. you get a decent shot of his missed dive. That's pretty crazy missed dive. I mean, yeah, you, you do know. you do see that one for sure. But you know they miss things a little bit. But they they are right on target as Randy is getting thrown across the ring and he's rubbing the blade across his forehead <laughs> as he's going across the ring. And then again, when he hits the the mat, he's looking yeah. at stiffle. <laughs> it is really it is really obvious in an amusing way. It's like. You know, come on, get us professionals here in the camera. I'm not blaming Randy. I'm blaming whoever uh, 
whoever yeah. deci- decides to do that. Yeah, we mentioned there's actually some pretty big high spots in this for not a long match, right? But you have mm-hmm. the Adonis uh, kind of does like a mist, sort of a mist superfly splash off the top of the cage, which yeah. you, know, you have the. It's pretty nuts, right? I mean, you didn't have that many cage dives in, in the 1980s. You had some, but obviously the famous snuckle ones. Yeah, yeah. But that's a big, that's a big boy to be coming that high off the yeah. top of a cage like that. Slaughter does one in the uh, in the Slaughter um, Kernodal uh, Steamboat mm-hmm. Youngblood match. So this is, they're not as rare as the sort of iconic uh, the the iconic graphy around the snooker one made it seem right. You didn't see him, right? But uh, but but Adrian kind of you know takes a pretty big tumble off the top of this cage for a guy who had to be three three forty. Right. Yeah, yeah, that was impressive. I can't remember if he did a lot of that in the AWA. He had several cage matches with Jesse Ventura against the High Flyers or against um, you know other other teams. I'm sure, and I don't know if he went up like that, like standing on the very top with both feet on the top of the cage and jumping off. Maybe he did that a few times. And then Savage, you know, the finish of this match is Savage doing like you know getting knocked off the top of the cage by Tito. He's got both feet on the top of the cage too. And, you know, sort of falls off the top of the cage onto Adrian Adonis, sort of a little like his axe handle. Um, But, you know, as an accidental axe handle. But that also pretty nuts. You know, that's also a pretty big fall off the top of a cage. And and then Bruno beals him into the the side of the cage again. And um, and then they kind of, uh, Bruno walks out and Tito climbs out for the win. Um, Yeah, yeah crowd goes crazy. I mean, it was, it was a crazy bump because um, you know it it did give a nice glancing blow to Adrian when Savage was pulled off the top. <laughs> but it's it's not like Adrian was positioning himself right underneath to take. Right, he wasn't. You know, the, no, he didn't thing. catch it. Right, it wasn't like he was he was catching the dive like you might see in like a you know an in mm-hmm. indie match now or a lucha. He kind of just. I mean, I guess Adrian's a big pillow to land on. Uh, but Savage does kind of just stumble on top of him in kind of a real organic looking way. Um, yeah, it's very natural. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to see some of these. But match, Savage has really great looking uh, jabs in mm-hmm. this. Uh, he's a guy with a he's a guy with a great jab. Bruno's got great looking punches too. These kind of like big haymakers that he threw. Uh, very yeah. very clearly great looking worked punches, but really good nice looking work punches. Bruno's obviously a guy who. You know, has a lot of experience, you know, punching and kicking to the back rows of big arenas, right? I mean, he's a guy who puts oh, yeah. a lot of demonstrativeness in his blows in a really uh, entertaining way. He's got really, yeah. he's got really nice knee lifts in this too. Really takes like the mm-hmm. point of his knee into Adrian's head. It's, I mean, he's really, he's really entertaining in this. I mean, I, I, in some ways, I think Bruno might be better in this match than he is in either of the other two matches I had him in my book. Uh, the mm-hmm. Shea Stadium, this Shea Stadium match against Sabisco and a, and a Superstar Billy Graham match, both of which were good matches. But I mean, this is Bruno is really uh, it's a different thing, right? I mean, because he does it's all Bruno comeback, right? It never is really doesn't really ever sell, and it doesn't really have to no. slow. It never slows it down, right? It always it's all action from bell to bell, pretty much. Yeah, there's no rest, full rest points at all. I mean, as soon as as soon as Bruno or Tito 
maybe get beat down a little bit, the heels are heading for the top of the cage with the door, and, and, and Bruno and Tito have to jump up and pull them off or grab their legs. So there's, there's really no rest. And toward the end, there's a nice spot where Savage is up on the top turnbuckle and just kind of collapses and sits there with his back against the cage for a few seconds. And it just makes you wonder if even Bruno has better cardio than Savage or he's just selling, you're doing a great job of selling it. And he's well, got the blood spots at that point, too. I mean, I think Savage is pretty good cardio. I mean, Savage is, as he is like just all over this ring. The entire yeah. match, right? Like he he is he is never he's always and he's like climbing or flapping into the cage or jumping off with an axe handle or jumping. He is the guy who is he is he is work his work rate in this match yeah. is nuts. I mean, which is always the really cool thing about Randy Savage as a wrestler because there was a lot of deliberate shit in the WWF in the eighties, and Randy Savage was this guy who was working everything at. You know, slightly a more frantic pace than everybody else. Almost like like a boxer or uh, who's going to throw you know hundred punches around. Right? Yeah, he's gonna yeah. you're gonna you're gonna either match his pace or get overwhelmed by it. Was kind of how it worked with Randy Savage matches, which was which is very different than the way that most heels were. I mean, if you think about like, the difference between Randy Savage Tito Santana matches and Greg Valentine Tito Santana matches, where Greg right, Valentine yeah. was going to be slowing the pace and punishing and hitting, you know, landing heavy shots and Savage yeah. was going to be pushing and the pace and speeding it up and, you know, working and working and working with the idea that he's going to eventually, you know, you're going to burn yourself out. You know, it's like a great running basketball team. It's like, you know, we're, we're confident we're going to score more points than you if we're working at this pace. And Randy Savage is confident that he's going to end up, you know, blowing out your gas tank if this match is working at his pace. Um, yeah, well, maybe maybe that collapse of his on the, the top turnbuckle was just kind of a show of respect or great storytelling. Yeah. This match has really taken a toll. And, you know, their, their foes are pretty formidable in the cage. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, Savage did not have a long career, uh, really, when you think about it, especially when you consider how long wrestling careers are now. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Savage, Savage Z Russell, did his, was his career as long as The Miz's career? It doesn't really seem like, probably not, right? Like, like, but, you know, you know you kind of, you know, he obviously had such an impact at the time he was there, but I mean, he was probably, what, early 80s to, you know, he was pretty much done as an active wrestler in the early 90s, right? He had the yeah. WCW but, run, but he could barely move in that. Um, yeah, I guess doing that two-arm pledge off the top turnbuckle to the floor every night, it's going to catch up with you. That's gotta, it can't be great on your knees. I mean, I also don't think Randy Savage was obviously a great athlete in very good shape, but may have not. Mm-hmm. Had, I mean, he's not a guy you got a sense was, you know, eating a plant-based diet and uh, doing yoga and getting up at, you know, to, to do, uh, you know, cardio on the bike at six in the morning. You know what I mean? I imagine Randy Savage. Randy Savage had the vibe of a guy who was enjoying himself in the 1980s. I don't want to, we don't need to go any further than that, but, you know, Randy, yeah. Randy Savage seemed like a guy who had had some habits. Uh, mm-hmm. So... <laughs> I mean, yeah, Bruno yeah, famously was like a was like a workout freak, right? I mean, he was a guy who would, yeah. who was who was one of the you know it was like one of the early real bodybuilders, and mm-hmm. uh, he was a guy who would just always really um, 
you know, was in tremendous shape, and obviously still in tremendous shape here, uh, where Savage was more of a, you know, uh, live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse kind of guy. Uh, yeah. Adrian, too, right? I mean, those were both guys who were 1980s professional wrestlers with everything that that would entail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. Yeah, Bruno's the only one. And Tito probably are more of the clean-living guys. I don't, you know, Bruno prided himself on never taking steroids. Um, and I can't tell the Tito, well, maybe he was a crazy guy, but I've never heard stories. I think, I think, yeah, I think the idea of Tito is he was always this delightful, pleasant guy to be around. And, uh, you know, certainly of your uh, in your, like, uh, West Texas State University uh, crew, right? He's the he's the choir boy of that group, right? I would think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the cra- that was the crazy. He was one of the West Texas State University guys, where he had this weird uh, weird football team uh, that had uh, just so many uh, so many great wrestlers uh, came from West Texas State, right? Uh, I forgot Tito was part of that crew. Tito was part of that crew. Dusty. Uh, Ted DiBiase, uh, uh, Dick Murdoch. I'm trying to think. I'm yeah. looking for. I'm looking for all of the, uh, Tully. I think Tully was like mm-hmm. a okay. uh, was one of the guys. So I t- uh, twelve major pro wrestling stars played football mm-hmm. at West Texas State University. So it was Dusty Great. Rhodes, Dick Murdoch, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen, Terry and Dory Funk, Barry Windham, oh. Ted DiBiase, Tito Santana, Tully Blanchard, Manny Fernandez, and Scott Casey. Wow. That's I mean, that is, that's incredible, right? Not Dr. Death, though. Don't say that. No, no, yeah, no, that's <laughs> no, very definitely not. But I mean, if you look at that group, I mean, that is some, those are some icons, right? Three, yeah, that, you know, multiple world champions, right? Uh, um, right, uh, Barry, Dusty, uh, Terry, Dory, uh, mm. Ted DiBiase all became world champions. Yeah. You know. Brody and Hanson, obviously icons. Scott Casey, mm-hmm. a little bit of a, one of these things is not like the other. He's definitely, <laughs> he's definitely the weak, the weak stepsister of your West Texas State University uh, football group. Yes, I can definitely agree with that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Savage was all over the place in 86, too, and it seems like he was coming off of a feud with Santana, he was getting going with Ricky Steamboat. I think you know around uh, November of '86 is when he dropped the ring bell on Ricky Steamboat's throat, and then was interviewed by Bruno backstage after that. I don't know if you remember that interview, but it's uh, you know, right, Bruno was, was disgusted. Yeah, he said you. Well, Randy was very proud of himself. He actually said, "I'm so proud of myself." And Bruno, that Bruno snapped and said. You beast of slime and <laughs> started punching him and threw him to the ground. So that just added fuel to the fire for this uh, cage match and this little feud. Yeah, they had a they had another run in. Uh, they had singles, a bunch of singles matches against each other. They Bruno did. And Randy. Yeah, I, yeah I, I checked out one of those when I was uh, getting ready for this. It was, I think it's uh, in Boston um, in January of '87, and they were all. They're mostly DQ wins for Bruno. This one, it wasn't a long match. It was a lot of uh, Bruno on the floor and Savage playing King of the Hill. But they both end up on the floor and the, re- the referee's counting. And Savage clocks 
Bruno with the chair and gets in right before the count and wins by DQ, but then, or, well, no, I don't know, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, that's I think, well, uh, yeah, Savage won by count. I'm looking at cage match now. Yeah, yeah, and, but then Bruno jumps back in and puts him in a bear lock, um, and, you know, it just looks like it's killing Savage, and the, the referees run in from the back, and they can't get Bruno to break the hold. You know, Savage is on the ground, motionless, and then the wrestlers come out from the back to, to eventually pull Bruno off. So that's, you know, he got his heat back. I mean, it was pretty impressive. Um, that was, yeah, that was that. like a later run. This this was all, this particular, like, MSG portion of the feud, I think started with a a, a Savage-Santana match with Bruno as a ref. And yeah, then and yeah, then a tag right. in Madison Square Garden. And they were then they had a singles match in Connecticut, and then a tag mm-hmm. in, in in Pittsburgh again, like you mentioned, and then the steel cage match, and that was it. And then the Bruto Savage stuff was all uh, the Bruto Savage singles matches were all in uh, December, in January, in okay. February. Yeah. So okay. it was like six months later they had another little mini uh, northeastern run against each other's singles opponents. Then look at a cage match. This is something I do not remember at all. But apparently during the Savage Flair feuded WCW, uh, they worked mm-hmm. house show, Northeast house show matches with Bruno as the special ref. Oh, I don't remember that either. No. I, so they, I, I'm looking at it. It's like they had, they worked at, at, at Hartford, Connecticut, and then a Philly, and then a, a, a New York City, and then a, a nitro with a dark match of a nitro in Landover, Maryland, which feels like oh we should have gone. We, we, we should have gone to that, maybe. I don't know why we would. Yeah, why yeah. We weren't, weren't at that show. We went to some crazy shows, but not that one. Yeah, it's, that the main event cool. of that nitro was uh, was. God, this is what a weird card. Uh, this was your card for your nitro in '86. <laughs> Uh, Harlem Heat against the Steiner Brothers. It's pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Disco Inferno yeah. against Kurosawa, um, who is Manabu Nakanishi in the Japanese, like a Japanese deal gimmick. DDP oh. against Scotty Riggs. Randy Savage against Greg Valentine, which is, a, I mean, that's well, a match. That, that's a great, that's a great match that probably not only happened on Nitro for five minutes in 1986, mm-hmm. right? For these two <laughs> iconic heels of the 1980s. I don't think they ever feuded in the w, in WWF, did they? they would they have oh, feuded after know. Savage turned? I mean, this is an answerable question. And then the yeah. Giant uh, vers- uh, defeating John Tenta for the WWE mm. World Heavyweight Title, and then your oh. eight, eight-man tag main event of your the Four Horsemen: Anderson uh, of Anderson Benoit, Flair, and Mongo with mm. Deborah McMichael, Elizabeth, and Woman all at ringside against wow. the babyface team of the Rock and Roll Express. Joe Gomez and the Renegade. I don't know. I mean, this is a Nitro. Like so this is on TV. I don't remember any of this stuff. I do not remember. I didn't, I didn't think I remember. I don't remember the Rock and Roll Express being around in 96. Uh, in WCW, do you remember the Rock and Roll Express being like a, a guy's main no. eventing 96 Nitros? I don't remember that at that all. Makes- that no sense makes no sense at all. I w- I didn't move to the DC area or to DC until '99, so I okay. couldn't have gone with you to that match, sadly. But um, yeah, I don't recall that at all. That's that's a wacky main event. But 
Yeah. That'd be fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is bizarre. Right? I, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, I'm a, now I'm checking to see if Randy Savage, well, this is what happens sometimes in the show, is we get to the portion I, of the show where <laughs> Phil looks at cage match. But I'm curious if, if Savage and Valentine actually had matches against each other that was, um, yeah, I don't know if there was like a post rhythm and blues breakup where they might have. Oh, well, this is—I I feel like kind of a dumb dumb. They wrestled the—they were the the WrestleMania four <laughs> against each other. So yeah, they oh, were match against each other. Yeah, like at WrestleMania. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's easy to forget. Yes, <laughs> but they had a pair of yeah. pair of matches on at Nitro on Nitros. Two okay. under five minute matches on nitros, and then I, I apparently there was a period where Greg Valentine and the Hockey Talk Man were uh, had a couple matches against Beefcake and Savage, eighty eight. Oh, there you go. Okay, a rhythm so, was not the best. Yeah, that does not sound like essential viewing, but you know, a lot of a lot of star power in that match. It was always so odd seeing Bruno in non WWF context as well think of him on nitro and when he popped up in um herb abrams promotion for a while and it's just always dissonant yeah, I think, yeah there's a point where he had a uh had a uh falling out with vince um, oh yeah for sure so yeah multiple, multiple lawsuits and shit like that i think they uh you know i maybe they never did patch it up after the last one i think the yeah. idea the idea of Bruno coming back at this period, I think he was coming back to um, get his to get David a push. So he agreed yeah. to agreed That's to come idea. in and uh, and uh, you know do some stuff as you know be an announcer and do a couple matches in the Northeast to pop houses if they would you know get David a job. And it's possible that his Nitro stuff also was because of David. Because if I'm trying to remember, I think there was a period where David San Martino was in WCW. Okay. I can I, imagine okay. him getting a cup of coffee there. All right. I'm a, this is, again, an answerable question. <laughs> Let's go back to the to, to, to Way of the Blade podcast, old friend Cage, let see if I'm remembering this correctly. Wow, David St- yeah. San Martino had a match in 2010. Um, oh. I, yeah, it looks to me like David San Martino... He had he had two matches in 2010. He, he worked a he worked at in IWC, which is a Pittsburgh promotion, uh, mm-hmm. against Larry Zabisco, uh, and oh, then he had a tag with Larry Zabisco against F- Frank Stiletto and Beef Stew Lou Marconi at something called wow. Deaf Wrestlefest at the Western Western Pennsylvania School for the Deaf. 2010. So you had had these weird, a weird two match uh, um, David San Martino comeback in 15 years after his last match before that, which was against Dean Malenko on a Nitro for the Cruiserweight title. And he also had a dark match on a Saturday night against Rex King, uh, Hmm. December 96. Uh, Crazy. So yeah, David San Martino. Because well, David, David was in. He was in uh, the UWF too. So that's probably how uh, Bruno oh. ended up there. I think at one point Bruno was just showing up anywhere to anyone that would hire David. Yeah, the, the things you do for your children. Yeah, there you go. Much. David San Martino. Had, 
Yeah. I think they had a complicated relationship, though. Um, it was a bit tempestuous, tempestuous. I think, you know, David used steroids, and that's something that Bruno was, was vehemently opposed to. And I think that created some estrangement. They obviously would patch things up, but I think they had may have had multiple fallings out between the two of them. Um, so it's pretty complicated situation. I, I mentioned at the top of the show that when, after I got out of college, I got a, a fellowship to travel around and interview people on the pro wrestling business. I probably told you this before. Um, but one of the, the, the first batch of interviews I was able to conduct was at a John Arezzi wrestling fan convention outside of New York city in 1991. Um, and this is a this is when uh, Ric Flair showed up. I think he had just left or whatever, been fired from WCW and was on his way to the WWF. This is where people were, you know, coveting the the Joel Goodhart Tri-State, you know, Eddie Gilbert uh, Cactus Jack trilogy matches, and Cactus Jack was there at the show. You know, a lot of a lot of people, Buddy Rogers, Luthez, uh, Bruno Sammartino. I was striking out quite a bit on the interviews and it was a bit depressing. Nobody wanted to talk to me for the most part. So I was dejectedly leaving the convention place or the hotel, taking a a shuttle bus back to the airport. And who ends up standing beside me waiting for the shuttle bus with Bruno San Martino. So I hit him up for an interview and we, I had a little janky tape recorder with me. And so he said, sure. And I pressed record and we talked, and the shuttle bus, I followed him to his gate pretty much and talked, you know, and, and talked to him. And he told me his whole life story and, um, yeah, lots of, lots of crazy stuff in his life. Um, you know, for a while, all these interviews were posted on the Death Valley Driver website until I kind of went kablooey, I guess, many years ago. So I'm, right now I'm trying to get them reposted on this uh, Professional Wrestling Studies Association website. It's kind of a blog series where I'll, I'll go back and revisit them and reflect on, you know, what's happened over the last 30 years since I conducted those interviews. Cause this was before shoot interviews were prevalent before wrestler biographies and autobiographies were on the bestseller list and all that. So it was, you know, it's kind of fun stuff. And of course, the, the first one I started off with was uh, a local football coach at a local college in Topeka, Kansas, named Bill Dannenhauser, who was getting into the pro wrestling business. And I, I wanted to interview him just to find out what his thinking was. He went on to become the equalizer in Portland and then Evad Sullivan in our beloved Nitro days. All right, sure. One of, the, yeah, one, of the, one of the real low points of w, WCW history. But. <laughs> yeah, not everyone's favorite technical wrestler, to say the least. But yeah, he, was, he was a real, real treat to talk to because he, he seemed to believe everything about you know he took the wwf literally as the gospel he was talking about ted DiBiase, and well you know, i think he really did invest his money well i think he is really wealthy you know it's, it's not a it's not an act he's, he's a real millionaire and so like all right we'll go for it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah he, he has a little little place in wrestling history <laughs> i sure. don't know what happened to him after that I think he made of edits of pay-per-views, or at least semi made of edits of pay-per-views. I know yeah, I remember I was uh I, I was watching <laughs> Dustin Rhodes Vader from the Clash of Champions uh mm-hmm. for the Dustin Rhodes book, um and writing mm-hmm. that up and I think that was that was like an incredible this incredible match that was in the middle of a real 
the real nadir of like mm. uh, of WCW when Hogan had just come in and yeah. really started stinking it up. I mean, you know, there, there was that, you know, like, that was that period where it was just like, oh my god, this is, this, you know, WCW was so good in the early part of '94, and then when Hogan mm-hmm. came in, it's like he brought in like the hoggy talk man and completely washed up Jim Duggan. And brother uh, brood, I yeah. No, so the the uh, main event of that Vader Hart, Dustin Rhodes match was an absolutely incredible match. Just so mm. so great. Um, was was uh, the three faces of fear, Avalanche, Kevin Sullivan, and the Butcher <laughs> against Hulk Hogan, Sting, and your uh, old buddy Dave wow. Sullivan with a special yeah. referee of Mister T. Uh, oh, <laughs> special wrestler. He's in there with some icons, right? Mr. T, Sting, yeah. the Hulkster. I'd say his dream came true on that night. That you can't get much better than that. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Unless you like maybe you know body slammed an awesome Kong at the time, <laughs> and you know in a main event of a <laughs> of a Nitro or Clash, but yeah. So. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, yeah, it looks like he he's, he stopped wrestling in 1999. Dave Sullivan. Okay, uh, yeah, like a, he was injured or what? He had a, a run in some Indian called OPW in Tulsa, like your Tulsa Indie. Uh, it looks like yeah. he's been that for a while after his leaving uh, WCW, uh, which wasn't a lot. It looked like actually a very long WCW run. It looks like he was there from like '94 to. To maybe a little bit ninety three to to ninety five, so yeah, yeah. Cu- couple 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 years uh, in WCW and some moments. Uh, yeah, he was associated with Kevin Sullivan, I think, for a bit. I thought in kind of one one of these kind of imbecilic, you know, browbeaten characters. Maybe I can't remember exactly how it went. And he had some. He had some. He had some. He had the, before that. He looked like he's worked a lot in Germany, um, as the oh. in CWA as the Barbarian, um, hmm. and worked a bunch in uh, Puerto Rico. Okay, Germany. So that was his, I, it, uh, he had like a looks like a log feud with the Invader One and some Carlos Colon. Those whoa. are those are guys, and then worked uh, worked in Now, uh, which yeah. which is uh, which was. Kendo Nagasaki's indie fed in '93. Uh, oh, really? In Japan, yeah. Got some mm-hmm. matches, match, some Goro Surumi uh, matches. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that uh, Hitsukatsu, young Hitsukatsu Oya. Weird career. <laughs> uh, yeah. He was, <laughs> he was taking off to Portland to train, Portland, Oregon to train. And yeah. I think. He was, he was going to be called the Equalizer, and he had his move, the Equalizer finishing move, already in his head. Um, so I think he must have, that must have been the first place. And yeah, so his career started in, in 91 in, in Northwest. Uh, yeah. He, he, had a, he had a kendo stick match against Scott Norton, worked Rep Oliver <laughs> some, teamed with the grapplers, the wrecking crew. And then had a had a match at the toe. This is weird. Ninety one, so really early in his career. I don't know how we got into talking about the Equalizer, but that's how it happens sometimes. Had a, a three minute match at the Tokyo Dome against Scott Norton. 
Wow, I would love to see that. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's around. This is a show. That's the show where the main event was Fujinami versus Flair. So oh, this yeah. is like a WCW. This was Starcade at the Tokyo Dome. So it was a WCW. It might have been on. Might have been one of those shows that was on WCW pay per view. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's got Steiner Brothers, Hase, Hase Sasaki uh, is on this show. Uh, Arn Anderson, mm-hmm. Barry Windham against Masahiro Chono, Masa Saito. Uh, Vader Bigelow against Doom. I bet that's good. Oh uh, my Great Muda Sting. Like Ricky Choshu <laughs> Tiger Jeet Singh. I bet that's not good. Fujinami oh. Flair. <laughs> El Gigante versus Big Cat Hughes. This is a oh. show. And then your boy, The Equalizer, which looks wow. like maybe less than a year into his career, is gets a Tokyo Dome uh, show against Scott Norton. And then it looks like it's in, uh, off to Germany where he's working as the Barbarian. Well, maybe he may have made an impression or got some, you know, somebody noticed him on the show and it's, you know, fast forward, you know, get a few more years of experience and come to WCW and, and, uh, you know, stay, stay for a while. I don't know if Scott Norton was in WCW at the same time that, uh, Yvette Sullivan was having his run, but. I don't think you know, so. I mean, he started his run in all the way in 93. So he's there oh, for the so equalizer. He's there for a while. Like he was. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember this. Like, he had a bunch of... He was a, a, a tag... He did a bunch of house show tags with Rick Rude. Oh. Um, well, I mean, you could learn a lot. Maybe they were just, uh, you know, yeah. giving him chances to develop. Yeah, know, it looks like he worked a Saturday... Worked a tag match on WCW Saturday night uh, with Bobby Eaton against Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's, I mean, you know, like, shit. Right? I mean, that's yeah. something... <laughs> that is quite an education. Well, you know, once you finish the Dust in the Day book, maybe you got to go back and do the Dave Sullivan. You got Sullivan of the Day book. Is yeah. the, is the next. Right. I mean, we, you know, we, we, if I keep doing these, eventually, uh, eventually, I mean, let's he, let's see. I mean, we'll, we'll let's let's check this out here. What a career! I, I would definitely help you out with that one if you needed some help. Uh, but I mean, I, I'm just saying. I'm looking at his his thing. He has he has a Dustin singles on the WWE main event in '93. He's mm-hmm. got a Dustin in the in Arn Anderson and Paul Roma against Harlem Heat and the Equalizer on WWE main event. There's a mm. Battle Bowl match where it's Dustin and King Kong against Awesome Kong and the Equalizers Battle of oh. the Kongs, and then a yeah. Dustin Rhodes Pillman Sting. Versus Harlem Heat and the Equalizer on WCW Saturday Night, along with some house show matches against Dustin, which probably don't exist. It's part of that mm-hmm. Dustin and Sting against Rick Rude and the Equalizer, Dustin and Hawk against Rick Rude and the Equalizer, Davy Boy mm-hmm. and Dustin against Rick Rude and the Equalizer. They had a run as opponent, house show opponents uh, mm-hmm. in 93 as well, which probably don't make a tape. So there are four matches that I could watch to see if your boy makes the book, right? I mean, uh, maybe that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Some of those might be good, right? Uh, Dustin. Well, I mean, oh, you can't go too wrong with three out of the four guys in most of those matches. Yeah. I, and then you got me curious. I may have to do some watching, too, if I can track them down. Yeah, Kong versus Kong is especially... Um, I mean, Kong versus Kong. Give me a break here, right? <laughs> <laughs> How do you beat that? Some fat, fat guys. <laughs> I hate to body right. shame anyone. But okay. I have, I have... Wow. Um, so I have, as you know, as you might imagine, 
access to deep dark uh, deep dark web Google drives. Yeah. And so I did a quick check on my Google drives here mm-hmm. of what I've mm-hmm. got. And I have, yeah. there are four Equalizer Dustin Rhodes matches I have available to watch. Including, Good Lord. Yes, including <laughs> including Rick Rude and the Equalizer against against Dustin and Road Warrior Hawk. And I got uh, the, the, that Horseman's uh, versus Equalizer, Horseman, uh, Dustin, Anderson, Roma, uh, versus Harlem mm-hmm. Heat Equalizer Tag, Sting, Dustin Pillman versus Harlem Heat Equalizer, and their singles. So I've got them available. I will. I can, uh, I, <laughs> I can watch them and check. I will watch them and check. I will give your your buddy full opportunities to get his to 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 work his way into my Dustin Day book. I'll watch all four of these and report well, back. I, just, I hope and pray that he does not disappoint you, and he steps up to his, his the competition and works a little harder and he does his does his darndest because it's my uh, boy from washburn university in topeka kansas assistant football coach bill dannenhauser so oh, i want to yeah. see him do well i don't know it's <laughs> the uh b- 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 already composing the uh the like little capsule in this podcast Lee and Phil discuss discuss this match and then go for twenty minutes on the equalizer for no particular reason. I think it's a it's a great uh, a great summary of what exactly I am doing here yeah. with the way of the blade project. You get, you, these always go into some weird uh, weird uh, side uh, doors, but are. Fifteen yeah. minutes on on a cage matching the equalizer is one of them. All right, well, Lee, yeah. Uh, so let's get, so do you have some, uh, uh, plugs? What can we plug from your projects? Nothing nothing uh, yet, or are these all things that are in the, in the works? Yeah, you know, I, you know, now that I'm kind of getting back into the idea of, you know, analyzing, thinking about wrestling, um, how it's considered. I might try to do some writing again. I don't I don't have my own podcast or anything like that, but you know, I I am pretty active with this Professional Wrestling Studies Association. Again, the WrestlePosium three is gonna be April ninth, twenty twenty two, from eight AM to four PM. It's uh you know, it's free to access all the talks get put up on YouTube. So that's something to to watch out for. Um, I don't know when the next issue of their journal will come out, but you know it's all online, so you can check that out. And you know it might be uh, interesting, if not entertaining, to to read how seriously you know some people analyze characters like Kamala or the Simone SWAT team, um, and you know talk about the the cultural archetypes and 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 whatnot. You know, I was I was. Preparing for this, I was wondering did I did I actually write for Saguna Gaeta? You I, did. I, I, I was I was thinking about this, and I and as you as you were mentioning that you're thinking about getting back into writing, I was like, I think he's I think he wrote for Saguna Gaeta, and yeah, you did. I did a search on on our blog. You participated in a road report uh, that we yeah. did in a show from it. That's all in 2006 was when you yeah. wrote for Saguna Gaeta. So that is. Uh, God damn! That is what, like, eighteen years ago? It's been a while. It, it might be time to make a guest appearance. If well, you are, you are always welcome. Uh, I think you are still listed on the 
side as one of the contributors on the blog. Oh my gosh. Uh, with their, with people, with, there are people who have contributed much more than you who aren't on the side for whatever reason. They just probably add some people to the side. But you're still on there and if people want to read uh, people want to read you, you reviewing a Rocky King Barbarian match for Black History Month in 2008, <laughs> it's on here. Uh, or me and you doing a WCW show from 85 as like a dual back and forth review. I don't yeah, know, some of this I don't even remember very well. I do remember Hockey King of Black History Month, which, yeah, that might get me in trouble someday, but I think it was fairly respectful, you know, as as much as can be with a character like that and the way he was treated by the promotion. Yes. <laughs> well, one of, the, one of the great memories I've got of you being a good sport also is when you came with me on Amtrak uh, for a crazy round trip uh, to uh, Bushwick in Brooklyn to catch a performance of something called Ring Cycle Part 1 and 2 that was an adaption of Wagner's The Ring Cycle with professional wrestling characters, and, and I was invited to give a post-performance talk, and uh, and you came with me to that, which I really appreciate. <laughs> oh, right, right. That was a lot of fun. I think we ended up getting a Korean barbecue. Yeah, this is like yeah, definitely, the, so. this is definitely the, the way the fact that me remembers things. It's like, oh, I remember eating a meal 12 years ago in New York City my friend Lee. Oh yeah, I also saw an opera. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think we uh, I think we went up that day and then took maybe the 5 a.m. train back to D.C. because we were insane. Yeah, that was <laughs> Probably def- thought we had to go to work. Or yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, I gotta get back and I gotta get back to do something and and, uh, you can't afford a hotel room in, no, in the city. So. <laughs> Lord knows you can't do that. No, I, uh, yeah. So that was a lot of fun. So this is, you know, obviously people can tell from this podcast we've been friends for a very, very long time, but live in, very, live in different cities now and don't nearly have the same opportunity to touch base. This has been a, a blast talking to you as always, Lee, and um, we will be back next week on another with another episode of Way of the Blade.